A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So what if I told you that Donald Trump wasn't the first American president to get involved in wrestling? No, no, I'm not talking about that Bill Clinton lookalike from the mid-90s that they kept randomly rolling out. What was that about? That's very weird. Anyway, no, no, not him either. I'm going way back. I'm going back to the 1860s, where a leader of the free in the home of the brave regularly stripped down to his pants and proved his physical prowess. Ladies and gentlemen, from Sinking Spring Farm in Kentucky and standing at six foot four, he is the 16th president of the United States of America and next in line to kick your candy ass, Honest Abraham Lincoln! There's no recorded win-loss record. There's no championship reigns. He's not even been Jack the Jobber's wrestler of the week. But Abraham Lincoln was indeed considered an excellent wrestler. So today on Wrestling Curiosities, we're going to take a look at the wrestling career of Abraham Lincoln. And one match in particular that captured the imagination of what would become his people. So presume spoilers ahead, by the way. I don't want you getting angry that I've ruined the ending. Kentucky is the birthplace of wrestling luminaries like the high-flying Ricochet, the country boy Hillbilly Jim, and the angry boy Jim Cornette. So it was obvious to probably everyone that a wrestling career beckoned for young Abe Lincoln. That and the fact that even as a young man in his 20s, Lincoln was built tall, strong, very much a gentle giant. I'd like you now to imagine that gif of Vince McMahon falling off his chair. You know the one. That's pretty much how Vince McMahon would have reacted to seeing Abe Lincoln. That and handing him a contract immediately for the WWE. When Lincoln was in his early 20s, the entire family moved to New Salem, Illinois, over fears of a sickness outbreak. And it was after the move that Honest Abe would start making an honest living in a general store, putting his brain to good use with customers and his brawn to good use stacking shelves. In fact, the store owner, a chap named Denton Offert, loved telling all the customers about how strong his employee was. Denton was very much Abe Lincoln's first hype man, the Paul Heyman to Brock Lincoln, if you will. My employee, the beast, the conqueror, will now lift this large bag of potatoes. You get the idea. All the chatter about this strong young man that's moved to town working at the general store really got the gander up of Abe Lincoln's first ever wrestling opponent, a young man named Jack Armstrong. 
Jack was the leader of the Claris Grove Boys. They very much saw themselves as the kings of New Salem, spending their days wandering around the town, playing pranks, just being dicks to whoever they encountered. Their special prank, and this is a good one, they'd put people in a barrel, they'd nail the lid shut, and they'd roll it down a hill. They were, for all intents and purposes, the Mean Street Posse of the early 1800s. Jack Armstrong wanted to show Abraham Lincoln and the gang that he was the leader of who the real alpha male of New Salem was, so he threw down the challenge to a wrestling match. Abraham Lincoln looked Jack dead in the eye, clenched his fist, and said, Nah, you're all right. Honest Abe didn't want to fight. He was a gentle giant. He wasn't there to, to make a show of himself. He just wanted to get on with his job. But Jack Armstrong would not have it. And eventually, he goaded Abe into a wrestling match to take place outside Offutt's store one afternoon. Word spread that this fight was going down and a crowd gathered on the day. Wasn't a sellout, according to Dave Meltzer, but you know what? A respectable crowd, considering the short build for a one-match card. Abraham Lincoln and Jack Armstrong shook hands and began to grapple. It was a fairly even contest until Armstrong turned to page one of how to be a dirty heel and tripped Lincoln up. Abe hit the ground and in doing so saw red. He immediately got to his feet, grabbed Armstrong by the neck and in a moment of rage and frustration, swung him around like a ragdoll and hoyed him to the ground. Abe Lincoln had just won his first ever wrestling match and in the process, he just invented the chokeslam. The rest of Clary's Grove boys rushed Abe after that, and it looked like a handicap match was about to finish off Abe Lincoln, but it was actually Jack Armstrong recovering from this attack that called his boys off. Jack said that he'd been bested fair and square, and their quarrel was at an end. Lincoln and Armstrong shook hands, and the Clary's boys carried their leader off, presumably went to push a smaller lad down a hill to cheer themselves up. Lincoln and Armstrong would become friends as years would go on, now that Lincoln had earned the respect of Jack Armstrong and the boys. Abe would have a few more tests of strength during his 20s, but eventually stepped away from the wrestling world altogether. Now, there was the small matter of becoming President of the United States of America to attend to. After a brief stint in politics, before departing to become a lawyer, he returned, angered by the success of the Democrats' decision to open the prairie lands to slavery. So in 1854, he returned to politics, became a leader of the Republican Party, and decided to escape the mid-card and go for the main event in 1860 and run for president. So the campaign began. He boarded the big silver bus and hit the road traveling up and down the country. He met people in every state rallying support so Jack Tunney would allow him to face Yokozuna at summer. Sorry, that's, that's, that's the wrong biography. That's the biography of Lex Luger. Ignore that bit. Abraham Lincoln's campaign saw the story of his wrestling days, in particular the story of the fight he had with Jack Armstrong, retold to a new audience. Now, what many would have thought would be scandal-worthy, future president? How can he be future president when he fights people? Actually, this elevated Honest Abe. It was really important for a president not just to prove they had the mental ability to run the country, but they had the physical prowess to defend it too. This excerpt from a campaign biography of Abe was published by Chicago-based journalist John Locke Scripps. 
It's scarcely necessary to add that he also greatly excelled in all those homely feats of strength, agility and endurance practiced by frontier people in his sphere of life. In wrestling, jumping, running, throwing the maul and pitching the crowbar, he always stood first among those of his own age. Now, I'm not saying that being a wrestler was what led to it, but is there any coincidence that when the country got wind of how great Lincoln was at the Graps, he swept the north of America to become the 16th president of the USA? I think not. Abraham Lincoln's reign as president is an important part of world history. It was Lincoln who ordered the Emancipation Proclamation, the act that freed over 3 million African Americans from slavery. As memorable as his life was, so was his death when he was assassinated whilst attending the opera by John Wilkes Booth. Many wise words of Abraham Lincoln still echo to this day. Many of his acts as president have made the world a better place. But let's not forget that he had that almighty caveat in his back pocket. As an accomplished wrestler, if you stepped up to him, he'd choke slam you straight to hell! Hail to the chief! Remember when Eric Bischoff called out Vince McMahon? It was in the run-up to Slamboree 1998. Eric Bischoff, well and truly in his pomp, winning the Monday Night War, was goading the leader of the other side into a wrestling match. Of course, it never happened. It was never going to happen. But it was fun to watch a metaphorical king call out another metaphorical king. We here at Wrestling Curiosities think it would have been more fun if a literal king had called out another literal king. And that is something that actually did happen. Introducing first, being accompanied to the ring by the one true love of his life, not counting the others, Catherine of Aragon, he weighs in tonight at 250 plus pounds of monarchy might, Bow down to your king, King Henry the And his opponents fighting out of Chateau Le Cognac. He is the architect of the French Renaissance. He is known as Boy Chevalier. Le Père de Restaurateur de Lettres. The father and restorer of letters. And the Francois de Grande. Francis of the Large Nose. He is... Wait, what was that last one you said? Francis of the Large Nose. Yeah, people called him that sometimes. Oh, it just seems a bit mean. It's like something you read in YouTube comments. He is King Francis the First. <laughs> So chances are you already know about Henry VIII. I think he's been in every history curriculum in history. On April the 21st, 1509, at the tender age of 18, Elizabeth of York's baby boy won the big one and was crowned King of England. It was a few busy years for the new king. He married Catherine of Aragon to strengthen ties with Spain. He had several flings on the side. He oversaw a lot of politically motivated executions. Oh, and he kind of invaded France a bit. There was a lot of unrest in Europe around this time, with invasions all over the place. Therefore, a peace treaty was drawn up and signed by many of the European rulers to keep the nonsense to a minimum. Three of the key players in this story are Charles V of Spain, who was elected Holy Roman Emperor, Henry VIII, and his soon-to-be opponent, King Francis of France. Francis was born on the 12th of September, 1494, in the town of Cognac, France. Yes, it is 
where they make cognac. I think they put it on their cornflakes there. It's also, by the way, the birthplace of adult film star Francois Sagat, the cousin of Alison Moyet, the singer. I mean, that's not pertinent to the story, but it's just a fun fact. Unlike Henry, Francis didn't have any plans of taking the throne at all. What with his third cousin, King Charles III, and King Louis XII still being young and showing more inlininess than he did. However, both guys died without an heir. So the job of being ruler of France fell to Francis on January the 1st, 1515. I like how he started in a brand new year. You know, got Christmas out of the way and then cracked on in January. Bit like a New Year's resolution to lose weight. Francis became the king during the Renaissance. Art, poetry and great sculptures were part of this amazing age for France. And Francis was all in. He patronised many great artists who encouraged the Renaissance to continue. In fact, it was Francis that gave the nod to Leonardo da Vinci, who proceeded to paint the Mona Lisa. Presumably akin to Triple H bringing in a new NXT guy, he then posed for a photo with him shortly after. He supported great writers too, hoping to encourage French literature to be more than just documentation of war and illness. Sure, we all love a cop show, but sometimes you just want to kick back and watch Friends. It's basically the same thing here. Whilst Francis was discussing major literature, Henry VIII was also exploring his own written horizons. Namely, the writing of the Marriage Act and how to get out of it. That would take a back seat for now, as there were fears of a European screw job in the air. You see, remember what I said about King Charles? Charles V of Spain, who was elected Holy Roman Emperor. Yeah, that bit. So, as Holy Roman Emperor, he was waving a big old proverbial phallus of power around. Something which concerned Henry and Francis. The two men decided they needed to get on the same page. Become a club within a club, if you will. Would a handshake seal the deal? No, 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 it wasn't enough. What about a hug? No, 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 still not enough. A kiss with tongues over dinner? No, no, you're just being silly now. No, no, they travelled to neutral territory and put on a festival of friendship. Henry and King Francis were keen to keep each other on side, but they were also keen to prove who was the best one. Massive gold statues and an entire palace was built specifically for this occasion. Both men digging deep into their country's coffers to prove who was best. This event, which was basically two guys saying, yeah, we'll be mates, nearly bankrupted England and France. Notables from across Europe made the trip to see what was becoming Glastonbury for gaudy geeks. Both Henry and Francis made shows of themselves here, trying to prove which one was the best. The majority of people were just there for the free wine and the food. It wasn't just two blokes boasting, no, no, no. Henry and Francis called upon their respective countries' armies to compete in a mini Olympics over the week. Desperate to show how brilliant they were, Henry and Francis would take part in many of the events themselves to varying levels of success. These events were just preliminary matches. The Sunday night heat, if you will, ahead of the real pay-per-view main event. On the final day of this friendship festival, King Henry VIII and King Francis went one-on-one -on -one in a wrestling match. If you go by the tale of the tape, the match belongs to Henry. Francis was wiry and adept at Breton wrestling, which is a barefoot style of grappling where the object is to throw your opponent to the ground by their vest. 
Henry, however, was a master of Cornish wrestling, which involved each wrestler wearing a special white jacket, which was used in takedowns. Not to mention that he was also taller and wider than Francis. If betting shops were around back then, you'd have put your shillings on the big lad. There's no shame in that at all. After a week of running, jumping, throwing and hunting, these two proud kings were both pretty cream crackered. In fact, Francis tried to get the wrestling match called off, concerned that this entire ordeal had made each other more irritated than inseparable. But Henry was not having it. They found a quiet patch of flat grass and they locked up. Sadly, history's great pay-per-view channel gets scrambled at this point. We don't know, blow for blow, what happened between these two guys. We, what we can assume is that Henry would have been the dominant force for most of the match. Stronger, taller, already a keen Graps fan, he would have taken great joy in keeping Francis on the back foot. Whilst we don't know the match, we do know the finish, and it took Henry totally by surprise as it did everyone else. Francis was able to catch Henry off guard long enough to wrap his foot around his and move his mass all the way to the ground. One fall to a finish, King Francis was your winner. The two men parted ways seemingly amicably, although Henry VIII's ego was smarting from losing to a smaller man in his eyes, both literally and metaphorically. That wrestling loss festered with Henry. And two years later, he would form an alliance with King Charles of Spain against Francis. So after all that near bankrupting pomp two years prior, hundreds and thousands of pounds spent on finery, fountains, gold statues and stately homes was all for nothing because King Henry didn't like that he lost a wrestling match. What this proves is two things. That one, when there's ego on the line, it is impossible to have an exhibition wrestling match. And two, if only Henry VIII had used a steel chair, history would be very different right about now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
So the summer holidays are over and schools across the world are getting back into rhythm. That means that once again, English students everywhere will be dusting off the works of William Shakespeare. I know, I know. It may not be your cup of tea, but what if I told you that Shakespeare was a wrestling fan? Heck, what if I told you that Shakespeare's love of the graps actually spills over into one of his plays? He was, and it did. So take out your notebooks, put away your mobile phones, and get ready for an English literature lesson, wrestling curiosities style. Don't worry, it'll only be about 10 minutes and you can pop to the loo whenever you like. Introducing first, fighting out of the dukedom and representing the mighty Duke Frederick. He weighs in at no longer from head to foot than hip to hip and is the Shakespearean wrestling champion, the man called Charles. And his opponent, representing the Du Bois dynasty, he is the youth that will not be entreated. His own peril on his forwardness. This is Orlando. Born in Stratford-upon-Avon in 1564, on what was possibly the 23rd of April, that could be a kayfabe birthday, we're not entirely sure. William Shakespeare was a prolific playwright. In his lifetime, he wrote 38 plays, 154 sonnets, and probably loads of other stuff that he just didn't think much of and quietly put in the bin. His works have stood the test of time. Romeo and Juliet, King Lear, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Much Ado About Nothing, Hamlet, the Scottish play with the name we can't say. By the Scottish play, I assume you mean Macbeth. When he wasn't writing, though, Shakespeare would kick back with some of his favourite pastimes. Now, experts reckon that Will would have been partial to board games in his downtime, like backgammon and chess, maybe go for a few beers in the tavern with the lads, and also experts reckon William Shakespeare would have been a big old fan of the wrestling. You see, wrestling during the Elizabethan era was a big thing. A real showcase of manliness was to offer out the wrestling champion, where the object was to hurl your opponent to the ground three times. The prize was normally a gold ring, and since it was typically common folk who turned their hand to wrestling, the rings would soon be sold off or traded for goods soon after. That is, if they won. You see, most places had a champion wrestler, one who would be called out by paupers and commoners in an attempt to earn these riches. They would find out very quickly if they could cut the mustard with a trained wrestler or not. Usually not. Shakespeare never competed in a wrestling match. No, no, no. After all, he was a writer, not a fighter. But he chose to incorporate wrestling in his 1559 pastoral comedy, As You Like It. Shakespeare had a lot of experience with writing dramas and tragedies. It was nice to see him turn his hand to comedy. Our hero is Orlando, the youngest son of the late Sir Ronald de Bois. Orlando is livid because his older brother Oliver, the inheritor of his father's estate, is keeping his share of the family inheritance from him. After a lot of big Shakespearean smack talk, he threatens to pull out his brother's tongue at one point, and a bit of roughhousing, Oliver agrees reluctantly to pony over Orlando's share of the Dubois dollar. Later that day, Oliver is visited by Charles, a professional wrestler from the court of Duke Frederick. 
Charles has caught wind that Orlando wishes to challenge him to a wrestling match in the courtyard of the Duke the next day. Our wrestling lad Charles is kind of like the big show. You know, massive frame, baldy head, but a gentle heart. And Charles asks Oliver to talk his brother out of the match for tomorrow. Charles knows that he is going to batter Orlando and wishes not to make an enemy of the usurper of the Sudu Boys Dominion and, consequently, the nobles in the dukedom. Oliver sees an opportunity to be shot of his upstart brother and keep his part of the inheritance. Oliver tells Charles that Orlando has conspired to have him killed and politely asks the mountain of a man to do right by the nobles and, quote, break his neck like his finger. Now, Orlando's opponent is not a gentle giant. He is a righteous monster. The next day, Charles arrives in the courtyard, ready for battle. A crowd has formed to watch the fight. Those who can't be there, I presume, are watching a dodgy stream on the WWE Network. Witnessing the fight front and centre is Duke Frederick, leader of the dukedom. A volatile, vengeful ruler at that. Nothing like his brother, Duke Senior, who is currently banished to the forest of Arden. You know, like you do. Senior's daughter, Rosalind, is also there. She is everything that her vile uncle isn't. She's kind, she's strong-willed, and she's very smart. She's actually one of Shakespeare's best-written heroines. She would have been banished to the forest with her father had she not been friends with Duke Frederick's daughter, Celia. Frederick is keen to get Rosalind on side, despite the whole banishment of her father thing. So he brings them along to the wrestling match for a fun family day out. Immediately, Rosalind's eye is drawn to a handsome young man arriving in the courtyard. And that man is Orlando, ready to challenge Charles to a wrestling match. Rosalind makes a brief attempt to try and talk him out of the beating he's about to receive. Orlando, though, is having none of it. Besides this, there's now a crowd. You can't really bait and switch a wrestling match like that. I mean, what do you think this is? Survivor Series 1999? The fight starts with a promo from Charles. Come, where is this young gallant that is so desirous to lie with his mother earth? Orlando gets on the mic and hits back. His will have in it a more modest working. And you mean to mock me after? You should have not mocked me before, but come your ways. Basically means I'm, I'm going to have you, mate. The bell sounds and we're away. Charles is dominant, hurling Orlando around the mats time and time again. But Orlando does not stay down. He continues to shock Charles by kipping up. Just when Orlando looks like he's running out of energy, being worn down by the much stronger Charles, the crowd roar, and he feels a second wind bursting within him. With every ounce of strength left in his body, he grabs Charles by the waist, lifts his feet off the ground, and drops him. One quick cover, and the Duke calls for the end of the match. Orlando's hand is raised in victory. <laughs> Rosalind runs to congratulate Orlando on winning the match and winning her heart. She says that they should maybe... Hang on, hang on. No, 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 no. The wrestling bit is finished now, so we're not doing any more Shakespeare. No, no, we're not. We're not. If you want to know what happens from there, I don't know, maybe pick up the book sometime or ask a retired English teacher. 
The wrestling scene from As You Like It was easily the most popular part of the entire play. The more elaborate performances would have had the wrestling match spill out into the crowd, much to the delight of a somewhat bloodthirsty audience. Several artists from that time have painted the scene as well. And if you ever watch an amateur production of As You Like It, the wrestling match is always the highlight for the performers and for the audience. As You Like It wasn't the most critically successful of Shakespeare's works. Some people have said, in comparison to his other pieces, it was lowbrow and lacking artistry. George Bernard Shaw, an iconic Irish playwright, says that he believed Will wrote As You Like It as a crowd-pleaser, a play that, while lacking artistic fibre, had a wider appeal to a simpler-minded audience, if you will. Ironically, these are comments thrown around about wrestling today, so of course it makes sense that this is the play that featured the craps. William Shakespeare was, and forever will be, the greatest writer in the English language. His way with words have lasted centuries beyond his passing, an astute, clever, passionate playwright who was also, as we have learned today, almost definitely a massive fan of wrestling. Whilst writing Wrestling Curiosities, I've come across some weird and wonderful wrestling nuggets of information that, whilst I really want to share with you, just weren't enough to talk about for a full episode. So, in this, the penultimate edition of this series of Wrestling Curiosities, I've gathered a few of my favourites. You could call this the Honourable Mentions episode. Those times where professional wrestling has impacted our culture in ways that you probably didn't know. Make yourself a drink, brace yourself for some really harsh gear changes as we present short, tall tales of wrestling curiosities. We start deep, deep in the jungle. We're about to witness a pro wrestling encounter between Great Ape Turkoz and Tarzan. Tarzan rushed upon the waiting Turkoz. What little advantage the ape had over the man in brute strength was almost balanced by the latter's wonderful quickness and agility. Scarcely had they fought a dozen seconds. They were rolling upon the ground, striking, tearing, and rending. Two great savage beasts battling to death. Tarzan of the Apes was written by Edgar Rice Burroughs and first published in 1912. By now, we all know, be it through books or movies featuring far too much Phil Collins, the story of Tarzan, the boy who grew up in the jungle amongst the animals. The author, the aforementioned Burroughs, didn't have much experience of living in the jungle since he lived most of his life in a Chicago townhouse. He did know, however, a thing or two about pro wrestling. When he wasn't writing fiction, some of Edgar's non-fiction work included accounts of wrestling matches that he'd been to see, attending fights between Chicago-based greats like Ali Baba and Everett Marshall was a real thrill for Burroughs, and sometimes you would see and hear that wrestling passion drift into some of his fiction work. In 1937, he penned a short story called The Resurrection of Jimberjaw. It's about an aviator who discovers a caveman frozen in the ice, thaws him out, and introduces him to modern life. The caveman gets a grip with society, he falls in love, and takes on a lucrative career as, yes, you guessed it, a professional wrestler. Wrestling even appears in Burroughs' most famous work. You have been hearing excerpts from Chapter 12 of Tarzan of the Apes, Man's Reason. And we go now to the conclusion of that chapter and that fight 
between Tarzan and Turkoz. Tarzan's arm was passed beneath Turkaz's arm from behind, and his hand and forearm encircled the back of Turkaz's neck. It was the half-Nelson of modern wrestling, which the untaught ape-man had stumbled upon. He struggled to encompass a similar hold with the left hand, and in a few moments, Turkaz's bull neck was creaking beneath a full Nelson. Slowly, the bullet head of the ape was being forced lower and lower upon his chest. Tarzan knew what the results would be. In an instant, the neck would break. Then there came to Turkaz's rescue the same thing that had put him in these sore straits, a man's reasoning power. Tarzan led him up, and in a few minutes all were back at their vocations, as though naught had occurred to mar the tranquility of their primeval forest haunts. So there we see Tarzan using the full Nelson wrestling hold to great effect in fiction. But in non-fiction, where did the full Nelson wrestling hold come from? For that, we need to travel now to October 21st, 1805, and join in progress the Battle of Trafalgar. 27 of Britain's finest warships fire on the Franco-Spanish fleet just off the southwest coast of Spain. Leading Britain into battle aboard HMS Victory was decorated Vice, Vice Admiral, the Right Honourable Lord Horatio Nelson. They were outnumbered by Napoleon Bonaparte's fleet under the command of Lord Villeneuve, but that did not stop them hitting them with everything they had. They used a strategy devised by Lord Nelson, where the ships surrounded and closed in, which meant they were able to defeat their Franco-Spanish enemies, despite being outnumbered. However, during this battle, Nelson was shot by a French musketeer and died, ending the life of one of history's greatest leaders. Lord Nelson was honored through professional wrestling. Now, the theory is that Nelson family of wrestling holds were devised by an Englishman, possibly out of Norfolk, and aimed in respect to Lord Nelson. The visual surrounding his opponent and trapping the arm, the same way that Lord Nelson surrounded the enemy fleets that day in the Battle of Trafalgar, is one of the strongest theories supporting why this hold is called the Full Nelson. The other theory was because Nelson was missing an arm, and by trapping your opponent's arm in a Nelson lock, you were essentially doing a Nelson, which seems a little bit meaner spirited than the former explanation. Napoleon's fleet fell at Trafalgar, but one of Napoleon's soldiers was about to rise in the wrestling world. We briefly mentioned Napoleonic soldier Jean Expreat in the last episode. He is the guy who established a series of very effective rules in modern wrestling that took it out of the dark days and made it into an attraction sport. Expreat was the first to organize a wrestling circus troupe, a cast of incredible wrestling characters that challenged regular people to defeat them in grappling contests that were fought under Expreat's newfangled wrestling rules. Circus wrestling in the 1800s brought us larger-than-life characters like Edward the Steel Eater, Gustav the Bone Wrecker, the Ox and Ed Decker, the Little Wonder from Vermont. The latter was actually a wrestling attraction presented by P.T. Barnum, a.k.a. The Greatest Showman. 
Barnum Circus was gaining a lot of notoriety, and wrestling seemed an ideal addition to that beautiful nonsense. Barnum was fascinated by Ed Decker. He was five foot six, 150 pounds, and a master of collar and elbow wrestling. During the show, Barnum would bring out the small, stocky Decker and offer $100 to the audience member who could fell their wrestling champion. Also up for grabs was $50 if you merely remained upright for three minutes in competition with Decker. Now, Ed Decker did not look like a world beater, and that is me being incredibly nice. So obviously, many members of the audience every single time were more than up for the challenge. I can report that approximately $0 were dished out, and about 100 people over the years got dropped by Decker. P.T. Barnum eventually mixed things up by bringing in more professional wrestlers to compete alongside and against Ed Decker. Guys like John McMahon, no, no relation, a former soldier who had learned the art of catch-as-catch-can wrestling, and the wild men of Borneo, Wayno and Plutano, a.k.a. Barney and Hiram Davis, identical twins from Connecticut. P.T. Barnum relished pro wrestling very much like Jean-Ex Some would argue because of their knack for creating costumes and gimmicks and storylines for their performers, they were very much the fathers of sports entertainment. It was the showmanship of professional wrestling that was displayed in the carnivals that saw the sport grow from the big tops to the stadiums. Very much like the stadium Edgar Rice Burroughs stood in one evening in Chicago to write about his favourite pastime. Which brings us neatly back to where we started. These are just a few of the hundreds of wrestling curiosities, tales and events that may have been forgotten by the wrestling world, but certainly helped to shape it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs> <laughs> 